Let's pray for the Word. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You wrote Your book just for us. I thank You that You said what You wanted to say and that we have the opportunity to study it out, to research, to meditate. But more than anything else, I thank You that You're the one who teaches us what You would have us to know. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that that You reveal to us what you would like for us to understand from your word tonight. We declare that we are good ground and this is good place to sow the seed and Lord that it produces fruit a hundred, sixty and thirty fold. Lord we believe that we receive what you have for us this evening. We praise you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let me begin by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a storm? I think everybody's going to say yes. Now, I'm not right now. I'm not, I'm not talking about a storm of weather. I'm talking about a storm of circumstances. Anybody ever been in a storm of circumstances? And Carolyn, Carolyn had a storm of circumstances. Yeah, I, I think that's more of a gale. I don't know if that's a storm or not. But, you know, I'm talking about when things just come together in a very bad way. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the, the perfect storm in the natural when, when maybe the, 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 heat, the heat front collides with the cold front and it makes a disturbance in the atmosphere and it creates all kinds of violent weather and, and all that stuff. I mean, sometimes in, in life there are situations that just meet in a way that seems like there's no hope of finding a solution. I mean, they just all comes and isn't it amazing how the devil works? He, he, brings, he, he, he brings one storm and he has another storm and he'll have that meet with another storm and making you want to just throw it down and quit and walk away. I mean, it could be somebody's in a storm right now. I don't know. So what do we do when we enter storms of life? Well, I've got a scripture for you. We throw out an anchor. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.19, it says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, into that within the veil. It tells us that our hope is the anchor of our souls, and that that anchor of our souls enables us to overcome the treachery of the storm, and to stay afloat no matter what else is going on. We have to throw out an anchor. And it says it's the anchor of the soul. The soul, we understand, is our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. So there's an anchor of the soul that we throw out in the storm, in the storms of life. Your mind is what you got to get hold of, right? <clears throat> because your mind runs to and fro everywhere trying to find a way in the flesh to be rescued because most people don't want to wait for God they want rescue and they want rescue right now I mean we want to get out of it we want to get out of it this minute God if you're not answering me I'm going to Uncle Herbert and he's going to help me or whoever else they can go to but so the soul just go, you got to throw out an anchor here I mean in the storm your emotions get carried by whatever happens next you know, the one more thing happens and you go, oh, I just can't believe that also happened. You just, you know, you have that. So it says here that, that, that we have a hope, which is the anchor. What, what's the hope it's talking about? If you read Hebrews chapter 4, you find the hope is that God cannot lie. He, not, it's not that he doesn't lie. He's incapable of lying. God cannot lie because the first time he lied, he wouldn't be God anymore. He cannot lie. 
He, because he cannot, he will not lie. The hope is he can't lie and that his word is sure. That the promise is true. Jesus entered within the veil offering his own blood once for all for our rescue. That's the hope. That's the anchor. When you get in these, in these situations, you know, this, yesterday I came home for lunch and I noticed that uh, my, my red oak had fallen on my house. And so I thought, well, all right, Lord, is there something I need to know about this? Is there something that, that it's just a tree, by the way, just a house, and it's gone today, so it's okay. But the question is, you know, not getting all flustered by it, but said, okay, is there something here that I need to gain from this? Because I'm not letting the devil win over it. I'm going to gain something from you rather than getting flustered by, by the storm of life. Jesus has already paid the price. I heard a story a long time ago about a sea, an old sea captain. He was quizzing a young naval student, and he says, What steps would you take if a sudden storm came up on the starboard? And the young man says, I'd throw out an anchor, sir. And he says, "But Okay, but what if another storm sprang up forward? He said, I'd throw out an anchor, sir. But what would you do if another storm came up aft? He said, I'd throw out an anchor, sir. And finally, the, 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 the old officer, he, he, said, he said, just a minute, son, where in the world are you getting all these anchors? He said, from the same place you're getting all those storms. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't matter about the storms of life. The devil keeps throwing them. He will keep throwing them. He'll keep throwing them. Your anchor is still the Word of God. He cannot lie. That is always the anchor. We can withstand everything the devil can throw at us if we're anchored in the Word. That means my mind has to be anchored in the Word. That's why the Scripture says that when our, when our mind is stayed upon Him, He gives us perfect peace because we trust in Him. That's the anchor. Our mind has to be anchored in the Word. Now, how does that happen? Well, that happens by meditating in the Word. That happens by getting in the Word all the time, staying with the Word, never, never allowing a season in your life to, to not be in the Word. We need to always be in the Word. We need to meditate in the Word. We need to take the time every day to, to not just read it, but to spend time meditating in it. I love the fact that we have cell phones today that fit in our pockets. Because we can, I mean, you got, I don't know how many versions of the Bible you got on your, your, your phone, but I got several versions and I can just pull it up and I can just look at the scripture during the day and I can meditate on what it says. Back in the old days, I had a three by five index card that I kept in my pocket and I pulled it out several times a day. But today we have his word and we can meditate in the word day and night. We can take the time. So it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can throw out the anchor and we won't be swept away by the storms of life. So Jesus said in Matthew, this, I'm getting ready to change subjects. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, this is verse 22 and 23. This is out of the Amplified Bible. It says, remember this guy had a son and he had a demon and, and the disciples couldn't cast it out and they bring him to Jesus. And, and so the guy, the, guy says, the guy says to Jesus, if you can do anything, help me. Have you ever prayed to God that way? Yeah. Oh God, if you can do anything, just help me. Here's how Jesus replied to that. He said, he said, the guy says, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything? Because all of a sudden, the guy's realizing that was a dumb thing to say. And Jesus said, why, 
all things can be. All things are possible to him that believes. I mean, this guy's in a storm. His kid is having a demonic fit, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything. One translation says that Jesus said, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. The question isn't what can God do. The question is about us and whether we believe what God has said in our lives. What did God tell us? When we're in a storm that's caused by the devil, it may be caused by our own foolishness, we need the supernatural power of God to deliver us, don't we? I don't know if you've ever been in a storm that you made by yourself. <clears throat> and the devil comes right away and says, you did this to yourself, God won't help you. That is a lie. I mean, my children, as they grew up, they got in messes and they, it was their fault. I was still able to help them because that's what good fathers do. All right? We understand when the storms come, we've got to do something. In other words, sometimes it just takes a miracle. Anybody ever needed a miracle before? Anybody need a miracle now? I mean, the devil's storms are intended to get you to trust something other than the Word of God and to make someone other than our Father God be our source. I mean, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to turn to somebody else. He wants you to go to them quickly. Remember the story in the Old Testament of Hezekiah when he had the problem in his foot. His problem, wasn't, his problem was that he turned to doctors before he turned to God. We need to, it's okay to go to the doctor as long as we talk to God first and trust in Him first. And sometimes He will say, go to the doctor. Sometimes He will say, what are you waiting for? Go to the doctor. But we need to make sure our trust is in Him. The devil brings storms in our lives because he is sure that we're going to give up. He knows, He's been around Christians for a long time. He's been, been around people, mankind, since the very beginning. And he knows that most men, most people, give up. You may think, in, your, in whatever you're going through, you may not be going through anything today, and that's great. But you may think, you, you can never get well. You may think you can never be happy again. You may think that this problem will never end. Whatever you're thinking, don't quit on God. Don't stop reading the Word. Don't have that mentality that says, well, this didn't do any good, why should I read it? It does work. It does work. Every single time it works. We've been talking about <clears throat> fighting a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that requires supernatural weaponry. We're talking about the supernatural realm. When you're going through things personally, when you're going through things as a church or, or nationally, we've got to be prepared to walk in a, in a realm that is supernatural and not just the natural. Jesus said, it takes belief in the promise more than belief in the harm of the circumstance to see the supernatural. Most of the time we spend our time thinking about how bad this is, about how bad I am, about how awful this will be. And, we, and the devil, is, he's great at it because he plays out all the scenarios of how bad it could be. We need to begin to think in a different way, begin to think about how good God is, how sure His Word is, how important the promise is, and how important it is for me to be a person who believes what He said. 
doesn't make it easy, but it makes the impossible possible. And so we have to, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so, so we've been talking about that we have to have this supernatural weaponry, supernatural help to do what we're supposed to do. All right? We need, in our personal lives, as, as, as a church, as a nation, we need to partner with the Holy Spirit so that things work together for our good. Instead of partnering with the gossip chain, in fact, a lot of people use the prayer line as the way to gossip and complain. You know, it doesn't take 600 people praying for you to get you well. It takes one prayer of faith from one person. And it might be you. It, you don't have to go through all the, all the religious uh, stuff in order to be delivered, to be set free, to be made well. Sometimes we have to realize what's going on around us. I'm not opposed to prayer chains, by the way. I just don't want the ones that say, well, you know, Brother Randy has a hard time with such and such and such and such, and we just need to pray for him because he really is weak in this area. Dear Lord, that's what happens, though, and we need to, let's just gossip, and we cloak it as prayer. You're not doing that to me, I understand. Those are those other people in my life way in the past. But I want you to think about something tonight. Whatever you face, whatever we face, even when we know that we've done everything the Bible tells us to do. If you, I don't know if you've ever been in this particular storm like that, but you're facing it, and it's like I've done everything the Bible tells me to do. And then you've done all that the Holy Spirit has instructed you to do as far as you know. You honestly can say that. I mean, you've prayed in English. You've prayed in the Spirit. You're being faithful. You're walking in love. You're staying in faith. You're doing all the things, and it still doesn't seem to be turning around. I mean, I've been there before. I want you to understand, whatever you do, don't forget to factor in the anointing of God. That can turn it all around right now. There is an anointing. And we're going to talk about this for just a little bit. The impossible becomes possible as we believe the promise. And we make room for the Holy Spirit's anointing. Here's how we ought to be doing things, how we approach problems, how we approach everything. We ought to do it the Jesus way. How did Jesus approach things? How did he do things? How did Jesus even minister? I mean, Jesus had to hear and obey what the Father told him to do, and he depended upon an anointing. Here's what the scripture says. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Not the very, I don't know. It's one of my favorite ones anyway. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus came, and you know this, as a man. The scripture says in Philippians that he gave all that up, became a man. Just like, just like we are human beings, he became a human being with a will. And, and quite honestly, he, there were times he didn't want to do what the Father told him to do. Remember, he prayed in the garden. He said, if there's another way, Father, let's do it, let's do it a different way. But Jesus was a man. Every miracle that ever trans, transpired through him came through a man who was a vessel surrendered to the anointing and the voice of God. 
right? Everything that Jesus did was a result of the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Everything he did. How many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, just like Jesus did when he came up out of the water, the dove came on him. The father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was filled with the Spirit. The very first thing he did when he was filled with the Spirit, anybody know what that was? It says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was tempted of the devil. Spent 40 days beating the devil up. And then came all the other things. But Jesus was anointed. He was anointed. Notice something about the anointing. The anointing isn't so you can sit at home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy. That wasn't what Jesus was anointed to do. The anointing does something. You don't need to be anointed to do nothing. If we're praying for the anointing, we need to be already moving, asking for the anointing as we go and are doing what God told us to do. The anointing, look what it says. He went about, because he was anointed, he went about doing good, healing all. So the anointing is supernatural. Everything that Jesus did, he was doing good, healing all. When we talk about an anointed service, what are we even referring to? Well, it needs to be doing good, healing all. That's, this is pretty fun, huh? <clears throat> so what is the anointing? What, 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 what does that even mean? Let's, I'm going to look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. Which is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I like that verse. What is glory? I mean, glory. You know how we say, glory to God. One time my son was leading worship, and the, and the song said something about glory to God. And my son, he was 15. He said, what is glory? He said, I'm not singing the song if I don't know what it is. What is glory? What does that even mean? What is the anointing? See, we use all these great Bible words and we, we, we have this feeling we know what they are, but what are they? What is glory? Now, here's my definition of glory, then I'm going to tell you why it's just my definition. Glory is the intersection of God's will and God's power. It's the manifest glory. It's where God shows up and it's manifest. His will and His power come together. Right? The, the Greek word is the Greek word doxa, and there is no theologian that really is able to give an exact definition of the word. There are definitions in, in, in the different lexicons, but there is no, no one really knows the exact definition. In English, there are not words to describe what glory is really like. It's just too glorious. <laughs> It's too good. I mean, it's much more than we can even describe. But it's talking about that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Something so good you can't describe. 
this rich glory that he's talking about is reserved for the saints because it says it's been hidden from the ages and generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. That means you and me, we have this mystery, this glory, this hope of glory. The word Christ in the Greek, the word literally means anointed or the anointed one right? Christ. You've heard that before. The word used here is Christos, and it's the anointed one. The Greek word refers not just to the anointed one, but it refers to the anointed one and his anointing. The anointed one and his anointed. So here's the thing. The anointed one and his anointing in you brings the glory, which is, in my opinion, the manifestation of God's will and power to bear in all matters. And where is it? In you. That's the good news. It's in you. Listen to this verse of Scripture. 1 John 2, verse 20. It says this, But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have it. Have an unction. And you know, it doesn't mean you know what the square root of 13 is, but it means you know what to do in every situation as the Holy Spirit leads you. Okay? Same chapter, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of Him abideth in you. Here's the interesting thing. The word unction and the word anointing are the same Greek word. So it's saying here, you have an anointing from the Holy One. When you wake up every day, you ought to be saying, I am anointed. You've received the anointing. The anointing, the Bible says, abides in you. It lives in you. There's a living anointing that is in you. We have a supernatural knowing within us because of the anointing that lives on the inside of us. This is pretty fun, huh? It's good news for all of us. There's an anointing. There's a storm, but there's an anointing. The storm comes from without. The anointing is from within. Because that's how it works. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. I love this verse. And you know this when I want to get to it, you'll know it. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing destroys the yoke. The word destroyed here literally means to wind tightly as a rope, to bind. It means to pervert, to destroy. Also, it means to writhe in pain. But the Hebrew word paints a picture. It paints a picture that the anointing in you makes your neck so fat that it breaks the anointing into pieces. It can't stay on your neck anymore. Fat is okay when it's the anointing. All of a sudden, the anointing just destroys this yoke that was on you. It breaks it off because the anointing gets bigger than the yoke, more powerful than the yoke. So the anointing destroys it, but the anointing comes from within and breaks it. It causes The anointing causes the devil to writhe in pain because he can't get his yoke and keep it around your neck because of the anointing. So when we're having the storms, we need the anointing. We've got to be anointed to fight, anointed to do what we're supposed to do. Listen to this passage. Zechariah, you've heard this before too. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me 
came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all gold, and a bowl with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes of the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side. So I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? In other words, the angel thought it was pretty simple. You don't know what that means? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Notice the olive trees. There's, they're the candles, but there are two olive trees, one on the right and one on the left. The Amplified says, There are two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side of the bowl, feeding it continuously with oil. That's important. The candle flames are continuously supplied with oil from a living source. It's not poured out of a bottle. There's a living source. These two olive trees. Verse 6. I'm going to read it again from the Amplified. It says, Then he said to me, This addition of the bowl and to the candlestick, causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees, or is the word of the Lord, or it could say is the empowerment of the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. The continual supply of oil is the Holy Spirit, continually supplying oil, continually supplying the anointing, supernaturally supplying it to us. It's the anointing of the Lord, where there's a supply of of anointing of the Holy Spirit, we can be sure that it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. It's this continual supply of the anointing, continually supply of the anointing. The verse 7 says, For you, for, 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 who, for who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles before Zerubbabel, with whom Joshua had led the return of the exiles from Babylon and was undertaking the rebuilding of the temple before him? You shall become a plain, a mere molehill, and he shall bring forth the finishing uh, gable stone of the new temple with loud shoutings of people crying grace, grace to it. The anointing in your life that comes from within you that you already have, you just let it flow in you, causes mountains to become molehills. All those things, they're destroyed by the anointing. They become molehills on your path. The anointing will empower you to finish what the Lord's called you to do. The anointing releases God's powerful grace on your behalf. Victory comes because of the anointing. When you're facing the, the, the trials, victory comes. Apart from the anointing, you will not win consistently. I, I like that. We can have the anointing. It lives inside of us. Without the anointing, our home, our jobs, all that will never become all that God intends for it to become. Victory in life Achieving what God calls us to is not the product of education, a skill set, knowledge, popularity, crafty maneuvering. It's a, it's a product of the anointing. We have to learn how to flow in the anointing. Continuous victory is a result of a continuous supply of the anointing. So, what is it? What is the anointing? The anointing is not <clears throat> falling under the power. The anointing may be present to make people fall under the power, but that is not the anointing. 
falling on the power is not the anointing. Um, it's not a feeling. Have you ever been to church and you're walking out and somebody says, ooh, did you feel the anointing? I probably said that myself. But it's not a feeling. I mean, you know, just because you get some kind of spiritual goosebumps doesn't mean it's the anointing. Because the anointing may not, you may be, you may get a big, you may be being confused by what you feel as the anointing as something you feel in your emotions. The anointing is not a feeling. The anointing is something that happens. Here's what the anointing is. The anointing is the miraculous power of God inside of you that gives you the ability to accomplish the will of God in the earth. That's what the anointing is. It's this power of God in you. You can't accomplish it, His will apart from His anointing. You, 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 you cannot have the anointing unless you're doing what He's called you to do. Right? We have to have the anointing. Many of us focus on the outward displays of anointing. You know, the falling down, getting the, the shakes at church or whatever it may be. I've, I've thought this for many, many years. I've seen people come down and they, get, they, they, they fall under the power. Then they get up and they're as bad off as they were when they fell down. I mean, if something doesn't happen to you, something doesn't change in you, you just fell down. But the anointing is more than that. It, it, here's what we've, we've got this thought that the anointing is just for the preachers. Ooh, man. Brother so-and-so is so anointed. But it's not just for him. The Bible says it's for all the saints. It's for every single one of us. That's what the anointing is about. I mean, it abides, the Scripture says, inside of you. So let me talk to you about this for just a minute. The word anointing comes from... The Greek word is, is krio. The word charisma is often translated anointing because it comes from this Greek root. Krio. The word krio means to smear or rub with oil. The root word for this is kraamai, which means to furnish what is needed or to employ. The anointing is the smearing of the oil of the Holy Spirit upon us, furnishing us with whatever is needed so that we can be fully employed by the Lord to get His job done, to accomplish the will of the Father. In Bible days, this is what I want to get to. In Bible days, this was a daily application of ointments or oils, when they talked about anointing, to the body and the head by those who could afford it. It was pure olive oil mixed with perfumes. Poor people reserved the anointing for just special occasions. Wealthy people got anointed every single day. You had to be, you had to be, had to be wealthy to get it every day. The scripture says we have a better covenant established on better promises than the people in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints are the poorer ones because they only got the the anointing applied on special occasions. You and I are the New Testament saints. We are the wealthy ones. We can get a continual supply of the anointing oil in our lives because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We ought to be supplied with it every day. The word for anointing in Hebrew is, is mashmach, which is translated Messiah or the anointed one. The New Testament word, krio, is the root word for Christos, which is Christ. Okay, krio was the smearing or rubbing of oil or perfume upon an individual. When the patient came to see the doctor or to see the therapist because of sore muscles, the physician would pour the oil into his own hands and then he would begin to deeply rub the oil into sore muscles. That penetrating application of the oil is denoted by the word creo. All right, we think of the anointing. We think of, oh, he is anointed. We think of 
what he's anointed with. We need to begin to think we turn think in terms of the anointing in terms of the anointer. Not just the the anointing, the anointer. The anointing of the Holy Spirit has, has great great value. In Bible times, oil was very expensive and it was never just freely poured on somebody's body. It was always poured into someone's hands. And from the hands, it was massaged into the body. It was rubbed on. It took somebody's hands to do that. So we have the Holy Spirit. He's in us. This anointing is like a hands-on situation where another one comes to apply the oil. The oil comes by the Spirit. It goes into some hands. God himself is the anointer. He fills his hands with the essence of the Holy Spirit. He lays his hands upon our lives, pressing the Spirit's power into us, anointing us. It's him touching us. It's the touch of God. We speak of being anointed. We're talking about, we should be talking about the actual person who's anointing us. We need to have that. We need, in the church today, fresh oil. We need the anointer to pour the oil in his hands and apply it to the church to apply it to the believers we need fresh oil we need the we need a renewal of the spirit in the church the anointing of the charismatic renewal has grown stale and has gone mainstream i remember getting baptized in the holy spirit in the 70s and we had to be almost a secret society because the mainstream church did not like us they didn't want us talking about the Holy Ghost. They for sure didn't want us praying in tongues. I remember going to a, a house of this person I knew, and her dad was there, and he was getting on to me because of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he said it was all a farce. And I said to him, I'm 18 years old, and I said to him, I said, all right, let's just see if it's real or not. And he said, what do you mean? I said, stretch out your arms. And so he stretched out his arms in front of him, and one of his arms was a full inch shorter than the other one. This is all I knew. What to, that's all I knew what to do. And he said, yeah, so what? I said, hold on. I began to pray for him. And he said, well, what's going on here? I feel warmth in my elbow. And all of a sudden, his hands, arms were exactly the same length. We were underground. We did it in living rooms. We, we got people baptized in the Holy Spirit at the park. The mainstream church didn't have any part of it because they didn't want it because they were challenged by it. Remember those days? Those were fun days. But we've become mainstream. What we need is fresh oil. Fresh anointing. The old anointing has lost its wow factor. In fact, it is imitated all over town. Well, without the people stretching out their arms. I mean, there are churches in this city in this country, they don't even believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you can walk in, you can't tell the difference between that church and the church that believes in it. Now, they love God. Don't get me wrong. They do love the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't. But you can't tell the difference. Churches that oppose speaking in tongues have removed the word Baptist or Methodist or whatever off of their sign so people are under the impression that it's non-denominational in order to draw people who otherwise might think, they might think, well, we're in a spirit-filled church. It doesn't say it's, it's this denomination or that one. Again, these are people who love the Lord, but there's no fresh anointing. There's no, there's no power of the Holy Spirit operating. We must have a fresh anointing. 
I know people who've gone to churches that don't even believe in tongues, don't believe in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in any of those things in that church. It's, it's just not a part of their church doctrine. And I know people who've gone to that church for years before they find out about it, thinking they're in a charismatic church because somebody raises their hand, thinking they're in a spirit-filled church because they pray for people at the altar. Again, they're people that love the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Isaiah 92, verse 10 says, But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. Isn't that something the Bible talks about unicorns? Unicorns are rare, aren't they? Now the word unicorn here literally means the excessive strength of a wild bull that has big horns is what it's talking about. It's talking about a big, bad animal with big old horns. He says, my horn you're going to make like the horn of a unicorn. Powerful, strong. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire upon mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. Hear what the Bible is talking about. We should have a fresh anointing that makes us strong. We'll see our desire, which is his desire, on our enemy. The enemy is not the electric company. <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about demonic forces that rule in different parts of our city and our, our country. We'll see our desire on them. You know, the scripture says, don't touch the Lord's anointing. Why? Well, it's because the anointing of the Lord, this fresh oil, always sees the enemy defeated. Don't make yourself the enemy of that. We'll even hear the secrets of the enemy if we have the anointing. Verse 12 says, the righteous shall flourish and be like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. Listen to me. I don't know what you consider old. I don't necessarily consider us old. We are to bring forth fruit in whatever age we are. The anointing causes that to happen. It says they shall be fat and flourishing. We talked about the neck getting so fat the yoke can't stay there. We're to be fat and flourishing, producing fruit. We should flourish like the palm tree. The palm tree was the, was the last of all the trees that would submit to harsh weather. What kind of trees are on the beach? Palm trees, because they're all the only ones that can survive. They survive the wind, the rain, the sand, all the things. It says, it says that they'll, they'll be like the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were the tallest trees in Lebanon. We move to new heights with the anointing. And we'll see things we've never seen before. We bring forth fruit. If the devil ever says to you, you're too old, he's a liar. The anointing still does good and heals all. It does what it's supposed to do. Our effectiveness in the kingdom should never diminish. Never allow anyone to say to you that your best days are behind you. It's like, the, it's like when they rebuilt the temple and people were crying and the prophet said, listen, the glory of the latter temple is greater than the glory of the early. We have this glory residing on the inside of us. We need to believe for a fresh anointing. It's inside of us. We need to release it and let it go. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the anointing. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that only you can bring the anointing to us. It already resides inside of us. We want to release it into the world in which we live. God, that you put your hands on us. You rub in 
what is necessary to accomplish your purpose. Father, we won't be afraid. We will produce fruit in our lives. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.